This is M.I.P. With Masamela Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the uh, speakers at the Make the Trouble rally August 28th at the Lincoln Memorial was our friend, whom is a frequent guest, and we're thankful for that. Uh, but I thought it was important for him to be there on Saturday, August 28th at Lincoln Memorial because of the great work that Guns Down America has been doing and the work that he has been doing. And let's face it, Dr. King, Bobby Kennedy, Meg Evers, and others, Malcolm X, would have been able to return to the Lincoln Memorial themselves in 1968, if not for gun violence. So a lot of times we think about gun violence in a modern sense, but there is a history of gun culture and gun violence in this country uh, that took away some of our greatest leaders. And I would draw a straight historical line to all of that. And so uh, we were all grateful to have Igor there and have him present. And the struggle isn't over because just as soon as that happened, we saw the laws in Texas, both regarding women's rights, both regarding guns. Uh, and we know there are other things cropping up. And we also now know that Donald Trump was just a symptom. He's gone. But these types of things are still happening and we've got to continue to wake up and mobilize. And that's what we're here to do, not just chit chat, but to talk to Igor, find out what we need to do. So we're happy to have him as always. Igor Volsky, Guns Down America. Hey, buddy, thanks again for Saturday. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you for, for having me. It was a real honor to be there. And I appreciate you drawing that line of the connection between then and now, because as we know, it was those high profile assassinations that ultimately led after years of failed efforts to some of the first federal laws prohibiting and controlling the distribution of, of firearms came in the wake of those assassinations. And, you know, I also think it's really important to recognize that part of what pushed those laws through was frankly a fear of black people owning firearms. And that's a history we have to tackle, I think, recognize and tackle. And also, of course, added to that is the reality that many uh, of, of our gun laws uh, beginning, you know, uh, really in the inception of, of our country from colonial days, but we're talking about the period of 68 on when we had really uh, what would probably be the second in 1968, the second large federal gun reform law uh, that those those laws were probably implemented, not probably, but were and still continue to be implemented in ways that uh, that are simply unfair, that are in many ways racist. We have to tackle, I think, those realities, but at the same time, recognize that more guns do not equate to safer communities. What they actually result in is higher homicide rates, higher instances of mass shootings, higher instances of suicides, higher instances of police-involved shootings, both you shooting at police and police shooting at you. So, you know, this is a moment, Mark, and I think a lot of folks really spoke to this on Saturday. This is a moment for us to really reimagine public safety in this country. And for me, it's so important that that reimagining includes a real view and a review, really, of how we uh, as a country, as a culture, view firearms and firearm ownership. Yeah. And, and I mean, that is 
you know, the, the struggle we've, we've all been involved in. We, we had all these issues on Saturday. Some people like to do one issue events, but if we're actually building a beloved community, picking up where Dr. King left off, we have to include this issue. It is impossible to, to ignore in that regard. So as I mentioned, Texas, so they, they're pulling as many fast ones as they can. They pulled another one in terms of their, their gun law. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is a law, Mark, that allows Texas citizens to openly carry firearms without any kind of permit, without any kind of training. If you have a gun, you can carry it on you. Um, And what we know, what the research shows from other states that have these kinds of permissive carry laws is that you immediately really see an increase in gun violence. Because as you can imagine, when someone is armed, an argument, a confrontation that without the gun present would have just been an escalation of words, maybe punches, but with the firearm there, oftentimes turns deadly. And that happens every day uh, all across the country. And it's now going to be happening, unfortunately, if we believe the research, at a higher rate in Texas. And as you combine that, of course, with the horrible abortion law that the Supreme Court allowed to go into effect, which is just mind-blowing when you think about it, given that it clearly undermines Supreme Court precedent in in Roe, that that combination of individuals now being able to carry firearms in public spaces without any kind of restriction or regulation and the deputizing of the Texas legislature of citizens to enforce that law and uh, be able to file lawsuits, you know, against uh, individuals who help women get abortions after, you know, after about six weeks. That that combination is is really is really toxic. And, and it's not as if there's no history of those providing reproductive choices to women being assassinated. Yeah, there's a deep and rich history. And Mark, every time you continue to see this kind of demonization of abortion providers, of doctors, that creates a permission structure for right wing extremists, many of whom are armed to go ahead and continue with that history of violence. Yeah, yeah. And and that's the that's the danger we're, we're all facing. So we know that in the in the, the the abortion case in Texas, the Supreme Court refused to intervene. There was the filing of an injunction. It, it, was there any higher court appeal that came from the the gun ruling in Texas? Probably not. But no, no. The you know what's there was no uh, challenge to the to the gun law that just went into effect. But what's really interesting, Mark, is that this is the law that was opposed by most law enforcement officials in Texas. It was opposed by most Texan voters. But as we know from Texas and frankly, states across the country, they're not interested what their voting population cares about. They're interested what white voters care about, the voters that actually keep them in power. And so what's happened in Texas is you see 
a dramatic restriction of uh, of reproductive health of, of women's rights. Uh, you see an expansion of firearm. Uh, accessibility, at least carrying those guns in public. Uh, and then you see a great contraction in who can actually vote in those elections so that the people who have the power is mostly the white electorate that will then keep the politicians in Texas in power for perpetuity, right? That's all being done by design. It's not by accident. More MIP after this message. You know, and again, and I've been talking to some of the women's groups, I think the thing, too, that that we also have to enlighten people about, even, you know, when it comes to those who they're trying to keep in power, we're not even talking about all white people. We're talking about (laughs) privileged white men. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as you know, I I went to West Virginia twice with uh, Dr. Barber, Reverend Barber this summer. You should go next time. Everybody should go because it's sobering. And the people that Joe Manchin claims to represent don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) They're doing bad in West Virginia, and they're just grateful when people come so they can tell their stories about what they're facing. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, when we look at this this gun piece, voter suppression is it, these same people passing voter suppression laws. They're going to disproportionately impact women, including white women. The dismantling of Roe affects white women. And let's be honest, Igor, when it comes to gun violence and domestic violence, who's affected by that? Women, too. So when they when they do these things seemingly to hold on to whatever power they have, it's not even in the interest of, of white women themselves. It's as if they don't even exist. We are a group of, of old stodgy white men. And the census just see they've gone crazy since the census came out, too, because so it's the, this is the last gasp. Who's being born in America? America is a country of color. There is the denial that the world I mean, we take the whole world, Igor, the majority of people in the world are people of color. And it's really okay. You're okay, right? We're all fine. I mean, we all, we're good. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be all right, but they can't take it. Yeah. And and I, you know what I have to do? You, you challenged me. So a few years back, the Texas State Conference of the NAACP invited me to be on a panel. So I go to Dallas. I'm on the panel. Now, they didn't tell me who else was on the panel. I'm on the panel with police chiefs from Dallas, Fort Worth, all these surrounding cities, Austin, number of police chiefs. And I'm like, okay. Clearly, they brought me here to take me out. But this is what the conversation was, how they all agree with me. And we all agree. One topic that open carry was a danger even to law enforcement, as you alluded to. And I'm, I'm marveling at them saying we don't want to deal with people who we don't know if they're carrying guns, Mark. We don't want to put, you know, and a lot of these people, just like Capitol Police, most police officers are like everybody else listening, y'all. They just get them to go to work every day. They don't, every police officer can get them to go to work every day anticipating a gunfight or or something like they go just to protect. And for most officers, that isn't happening. But when you put people in situations where they have to respond to a call, they don't know where they're going and whether that person has a gun or not. So this affects everybody, even those who are trying to protect and serve. The good officers that are out there. This, I'm, you know, I, I never got it. I don't know if it was recorded. I'm gonna need to go back and try to find that piece. I'm, I'm gonna ask somebody today when we finish whether that still exists because I want everybody to hear that this is a danger to us all, coupled with, as you alluded to, now you're going to have, you know, deputized citizens to go out here and enforce the dissipation of Roe. This is, Texas has, has gone crazy, but as Texas is becoming purple. And that is the threat. That is the existential threat to those who are passing these laws. Yeah, it's all about their power, maintaining it, keeping it, 
clinging on to it. And so they feel like if they can both empower their voters and then choose their voters, that's the way to to keep it. But I think it's also important to really underscore the the disproportionate impact here. Yes, the erosion of Roe in Texas certainly impacts all women, white women, black women, Hispanic women. But we also know that statistically speaking, white women have greater uh, economic uh, mobility and ability to go across state lines and get an abortion elsewhere. And that the women who are really significantly impacted are those of limited means who are disproportionately black women, Hispanic women. And, you know, that's not by accident, frankly, that is by design. And the same thing is true in the gun space. You know, we've talked about all of the research out there telling us that where there are higher concentrations of gun ownership, there are higher instances of police-involved shootings. And I'm not suggesting that there's a direct correlation. There are many factors, right, as we know, including racism, that leads to, to police shootings. But certainly you combine those two things. You combine a culture with high rates of gun ownership and law enforcement officials recognizing that anyone they pull over, any door they knock on, that individual could be armed. You combine that with the with the racist history, systemic racism in this country, and you clearly begin to see how there's also a disproportionate impact uh, on the gun issue as well. And so it's really, you know, it's really quite devastating. And, and I hope that certainly our national leaders step up and really figure out that, hey, if those guys over there are playing hardball, then we have to play hardball here as well. And as we talked about on Saturday, that means getting rid of the Jim Crow relic they call the filibuster and begin passing reforms that an overwhelming majority of Americans support, democracy reforms, gun reforms. It's a long, long list. Let's throw D.C. statehood into it as well, right, Mark? Because now is not the time to sit back and pretend that we're in some kind of, you know, politics of of 20, 25 years ago, where we kind of just disagree with each other. I mean, the, the other side is not playing in, in, in good faith. They're not arguing in good faith. They are there to keep and expand their power. And it's up to all of us to hold our elected officials accountable for doing absolutely everything they can to fight back against that threat. You mentioned the filibuster, too. I mean, that's one issue. But in all of this, Joe Biden's got to do more, doesn't he? I mean, he's even saying he doesn't want the filibuster to go. There's that. There still is on the periphery. It should be stronger now. A call to expand the court. I mean, we need all of that, don't we, Igor? We, he, he's got to step up. Yeah, look, this is a president, uh, at least on, on, on the gun issue, you know, on the, on the court issue, he was, he was a little towards the middle, right? But at least on the gun issue, he had a robust agenda. He made all kinds of promises to all of us, to his voters, and particularly to uh, families who have lost loved ones. And those promises focused on passing key gun safety legislation. And I'm here to tell you, Mark, 
that's nowhere on his agenda right now because there's not even a single high-level individual in the White House whose sole objective is to drive progress on gun violence prevention. And so it's why last week, our organization, Guns Down America, March for Our Lives, sent a, uh, a Newtown Action Alliance, I should note, sent a letter to this administration simply outlining all of the promises the president made during the campaign and all of the ways he has fallen short on those promises. And frankly, if Democrats want to have a good midterm election, if they want to go into 2024 strong, they have to deliver on what they promised us because the country is sick and tired of hearing these same promises for decades when they need our votes. And then after election day, those promises being forgotten and us being told, oh, you just wait when the time is right and we'll get to it then. More MIP after this message. Hey there, I'm Nadia Komodo. Check out my show, Tigress, which is basically my unfiltered and unapologetic journey of being a work in progress. Like, I hope that I am authentic and I try to be as unfiltered as I possibly can. I am so passionate about what I do, from talking about periods to wanting to build community around the cause to loving the business that I'm working on. Tune in each week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are streamed. Cinema, Senator Cinema says, and she hails from the state where again, the Giffords was shot. Mm -hmm. The Giffords Network couldn't be there Saturday, but they, they were still involved in Saturday on the periphery. We've been talking to them too. Everybody mm -hmm. at some point, you know, March for Our Lives, everybody couldn't be there, but everybody's like, listen, we're with this. She says, to, I want y'all to watch this, this is to Igor's point about, you know, the midterms in 2024. She and Manchin argue, well, if we get rid of the filibuster, what's going to happen when we're no longer in power? Uh, duh, if you don't get rid of the filibuster and then vote of suppression, you're not going to be in power. That's a, that's that's an existential reality because what Democrats who put, or voters, I should say, who put Democrats in power in November 2020, January 2021, are saying we need something to show for that. And and you're not preventing, you're, you're allowing our votes to be suppressed so we won't be able to help you in 2022 or help ourselves in 2022 or 2024. And all of these other laws are being passed, so something has to be done. You know, Mark, and this really insulting, frankly, I consider it insulting attitude from this president that says, oh, we'll just out-organize. It's up to us to out-organize them. Are you are you kidding me? You know, do, you and I know, Mark, and listeners across the country know how difficult it is to do get out the vote work, especially during a period of COVID, especially during a period of, of changing laws. So don't you dare, frankly, put you, the president of the United States, who has the ability to uh, do more to put that burden on us and to tell community organizers across the country, right. oh, it's up to you. You guys just have to work harder. You have to do better. While I sit up here preserving the filibuster because uh, I, I don't know, it's the way things were done when I was senator. I mean, that is that is frankly insulting and absurd, I think. Yeah, yeah. Are there any other, we're watching these voter suppression laws pop up every day, state by state. Mm -hmm. Are there any other 
gun laws popping up state by state in, in the weeks to come we need to be on the lookout for? You know, I don't know any in the in the weeks to come. We're kind of in this place now, and this is really a, a result of the success that the NRA has had over the last couple of decades, where the states, the red states, deep red states, really already have as permissive laws as you can get. I'm sure there are some others on the books that I'm that I'm not thinking about that, you know, that are as bad as what Texas is doing or, or similar. Certainly there's a wave across the country that the NRA is driving right in order to reduce any kind of regulation. But let me say this, Mark, because I think it really hasn't received the kind of attention it deserves. You know that there's a law called PLACA passed in 2005 by George W. Bush that provides immunity from almost all forms of liability for gun manufacturers, dealers, and importers. Mm -hmm. What it basically says and allows gun manufacturers to do is produce incredibly dangerous weapons. Those weapons are then, of course, used to kill tons of people, and they're not held liable for, for doing so, for knowingly producing weapons without basic safety features, which of course leads to higher levels of unintentional gun deaths when it comes to kids, of producing weapons that are so much harder to save a life from because they're so powerful. That's really what's been going on since this law came into effect in 2005. The president, as you also know, has now for years advocated for the repeal of this law. When he talks about guns, he talks about three things, background checks, assault weapons, getting those off our streets, and repealing this law called PLACA. Well, let me tell you what, the Biden Justice Department has on two different occasions that we know of gone into court and defended the constitutionality of that law, which is absolutely outrageous. And you'll remember, Mark, in 2009 and 2010, when then the Obama Justice Department went into court and defended the constitutionality of DOMA, which as your listeners will remember, was that law that defined marriage uh, between a man and a woman and effectively cut off same-sex couples from benefits. For two years, the Obama Justice Department defended that law. Uh, the community put up a huge fight. And then in 2011, then Attorney General Eric Holder issued a memo saying, the president now believes this law is unconstitutional. He will no longer defend it in court. And then, of course, eventually the Supreme Court struck it down. It is outrageous to me that despite the, the folks in our movement urging this administration to stop defending PLACA in court and basically repeating the talking points of the NRA and the gun industry in their legal briefs, that this is continuing to happen, despite the fact that we had a ruling, by the way, in uh, 2020 of a court in Pennsylvania finding PLACA unconstitutional, arguing it violated the Tenth Amendment because it prohibited states um, from suing gun manufacturers. It took that power away from them. So anyway, this is all to say that in the short window that we have between now and the midterm elections, where it's unclear that Democrats will retain power in Congress, right? Maybe that's the nicest way to say it, that it's unclear. Now is the time in that window to push this administration to do as much as they possibly can 
to keep us safe. And we haven't even talked about the rise of domestic extremists, armed extremists, right, right. political extremists, what that means for our election, because that threat is only increasing as well. And, and people carrying guns to the polls, mm-hmm. uh, all of that, all of that, uh, all of those things are factors. Folks, as always, we want to encourage you to go to gunsdownamerica.org. Raise your voice to Joe Biden. Sign a letter to him. Encourage Facebook to do what it needs to do to to stop encouraging and and promoting gun sales. Is your bank loaded? (laughs) All right. I mean, all of this is real. Um, Gun violence. And the fact of the matter is, in this COVID, still in this COVID moment, gun violence is on the rise. Is it not? I mean, we're seeing that. So this is the time to act. I know folks, it's a lot. We actually do a lot. Want you to fight against voter suppression. Want you to fight safe road. Want you to fight to end climate change. Want you to fight stop gun violence. It's a lot. We got to do it. We have to. And it's enough of us to go around to be supportive. And GunsDownAmerica.org is one of the organizations I am encouraging you to support uh, through your activism, uh, through your donations. We have a lot to do. We can do it all. If we we can make it, if we try, if we all work together as we did on August 28th. This is just the beginning. This is going to be a high season of ongoing activism around all these issues. And it's it's the duty of some of us to, to draw all these lines together so we can see all of these things are interrelated. And that's what White Houses are for. We're, they're supposed to do what we put them there to do. And they're supposed to, they're the people paid to address all these issues. They have to do it. And so I- Igor is uh, is right. Igor is a very polite person, too. All right. So, I mean, we can get into it some more about what Joe Biden needs to be doing. I'll be doing. But we're going to be polite just for today. Might not be as polite next time. We'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. But you can help us. You can reach out to Joe Biden vis-a-vis the website, gunsdownamerica.org. Add your name to the letter saying the time to act is now. Please, ma'am, please, sir, go to gunsdownamerica.org. Dot org and follow Igor on Twitter as well at Igor Volsky. Follow Guns Down America on Twitter so you can be informed and involved. We're gonna we're gonna keep fighting, folks. We're in this fight. Igor, as always, we thank you, buddy. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please give the show a five star rating and please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.